Good afternoon. I want to thank you all for your prayers, for your cards and your texts, words of encouragement at this time, the loss of my mother. We're blessed to be able to be there, and um, it was a wonderful time with family. It was a good memorial service where a life departed, a life lived for Christ. And as we heard this morning, that's where she is, that's what she's experiencing right now. So Sam, if you want to come and preach this morning's sermon as you offered, that'll be good. I've still got jet lag, so uh, we're in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read together uh, from verse 3, our text from last time. We'll include that in our reading since it's been a few weeks. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read through verses 3 through 11. Hear now the word of God. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. That was our text last time we were together. And today, Paul makes a little diversion in his letter to Timothy about the law. Verse 8, we read, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Now, Christians all over the world, since the coming of the gospel of Jesus Christ, have through the ages struggled to understand, or perhaps correctly, more correctly stated, have failed to accept the correct biblical view of the relationship of the believer that the believer has with the law of God. We love to emphasize grace, but law, not so much. Romans 6, 14 and 15, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. The law of God without the gospel would be hopeless. But if we fail to understand very often is that the gospel without the law would be futile and aimless. In fact, if there was no law, the gospel 
would not be necessary. The law is there to reveal sin and the desperate need for the gospel. And thus the definition of sin as a want of conformity to or a transgression of the law of God. And positively, of course, we as believers know that the law of God is an expression of the character of God's holiness and of his glorious perfections. One of the ways in which he has chosen to reveal himself to us. That's why the psalmist says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul and the statutes and the commandments and the precepts are right and altogether lovely. More desirable are they than gold. For the law of God not only reveals our sin, but the law of God tells us that God is a holy and a righteous and a just God without sin. What are we saying? Basically, we need to preach the law and the gospel as we do in this church. And what we want to consider today, very simply and briefly from our text, is the important relationship of both the believer and the unbeliever to the law of God. Or put differently, what is the proper use of the law of God? Last time we were together in 1 Timothy, we considered the false teaching, and as we read again, reminded ourselves, regarding the law, described as a swerving from the true apostolic stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of God, which was entrusted to the apostles. And though not mentioned directly in our text, it boiled down to this, an incorrect or improper use of of the law of God. The great Ephesian church, who in the person of Paul, as an eyewitness of the resurrection, the glorified Jesus Christ, he'd been diligently instructing the church for two years previously, and now they had swerved away and wandered from the truth. And now Paul's prophecy to the Ephesian elders, you may remember we mentioned this last time, when he said his farewell to the Ephesian elders, that prophecy, that prediction had proved to be true. And this threat as predicted had come from within and even from some of the elders themselves. Acts 20, let me remind you of that, 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That as a reminder, and that boiled down to an incorrect use of the law of God, as we saw last time. As we come to our text today, we see Paul make, as I mentioned, the characteristic for him, diversion as a follow-up to this departure from the true gospel that is to be guarded by Timothy, and specifically the improper use of the Lord. As he opens, he stresses, and this stands out to us in verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it correctly. Or lawfully, as our text says, and therefore implies that there is a relationship that must exist between the church, the believers, and the law of God. 
even though we are not under law, but under grace. Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Paul gives us his classic statement of the law's goodness. He says, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Despite the misunderstanding and the false teaching and the incorrect use of the law of God by some at Ephesus, there is no disconnect between the law and the gospel. There is no disconnect between the law and the gospel. And I quote, law and gospel rest on the same moral base and they complement each other. People have always been saved by grace, whether living under the law or the gospel. And thus I've called the sermon, the short sermon this afternoon, Love the Law and the Gospel. Love the Law and the Gospel. Psalm 119, verse 97, and so many Psalms quote verses like this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We have three simple points today outlining the proper use of the law of God. And I think this is a good diversion uh, that Paul has made and a little other diversion that I have made today. The proper use of the law of God, the relationship of the believer and the unbeliever with the law of God. And the third point is a use of the law applicable only to the believer uh, for obvious reasons as you will see. God's holy law, his holy, righteous, and good commandment gives us three uses, or I mention three uses. We observe in the first place the restraining use of the law. The restraining use of the law. And as Paul opens this text, he immediately establishes a connection and a relationship with the law of God, which he has declared as being good in verse 8, if it is used correctly, and the gospel. Both law and gospel work together in bringing salvation to man. The law is not obsolete or unnecessary because, the, because of the gospel, but the gospel depends on it. They complement each other. Look at verse 9 and 11 again with me. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, telling us what lawlessness is, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And then note verse 11. After this, he says, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The law is given so that mankind can understand what sin is. Understand that every man by nature is guilty of the transgression of the law of God and want of conformity to God's holy standard. Jeremiah 17.9 describes this condition so well as many other scriptures do. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart 
and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. All mankind, in our birth, as we enter this world, are by nature born dead in their trespasses and sins. And there is none that is righteous, not even one. It is not only the law of God that is written uh, this to us, but the law of God written on man's heart, on the natural man's heart. Created in the image of God, we have been programmed in our hearts to understand the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong, even the unbeliever, both the existence of God seen in the created things as well as the conscience given to man leave us without excuse. And that's what Romans chapter 1 talks all about, as we know so well. And the revelation of God in his law, as well as that law written on our hearts, provides us with the first proper use of the law. It is used to restrain both the believer and the unbeliever in some measure from sin. The restraining use of the law of God for the believer and the unbeliever. Though all men are dead in their transgression and sin, man is not as bad as bad as he could possibly be. Oh, there are some men that seem to come close to that. But because of this common grace of God to man in the natural world that we prove the existence of God, the natural man can see and in the conscience. And this law written on the hearts of man, written on his heart, this is seen in the public life as an external restraint on wrongdoers. Listen to Galatians 3.23. Now before faith came, you were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law of God is a guardian over the hearts of men, restraining them in some measure from sin. And for the believer, this changes as soon as faith comes in. And he's no longer a slave to sin, but he's set free from the slavery of the law and has been adopted as a son. Listen to chapter 4, the same Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because your sons, God has sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Believer. This new state of blessedness as a son of God does not nullify the law of God for you. Does not mean that the Ten Commandments and the whole law of God no longer apply to you. You do not have the freedom to adjust the law of God, the moral law of God, account to, on account of your freedom, for your own convenience to excuse your want of conformity to the law of God. But you now love the law, 
And that's the difference. The Lord does not condemn you, as we'll see in the next point. You love the law of God. And the new heart of faith given you desires to please God and keep his law. And the restraining power of the law is good and proper and necessary for you. A necessary, proper use of the law because of our remaining sin. The truly blessed man in Psalm 1 is the one whose delight is in the law of God. And on his law he meditates day and night. Because he's no longer a slave to the law. Because he sees his great God in the law in all of his perfections. And he desires to keep the law of God. We continue to have a relationship with the law of God. about the unbeliever this restraint he work the law his life and if you're an unbeliever here today if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ this restraining power of the law this guardian of your heart does not and cannot free you as a slave to your sin and to the law it cannot free you that restraining Grace, common grace of God to you. Do not regard its restraining power. Neither believe that some restraint on your part is enough to cleanse your sin. Or in any way excuse you from the, from the demands of the law to which you will answer one day. If you're an unbeliever, the wages of sin is still death. The free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, until you bow the knee to the Son of God, repent and believe on him for the forgiveness of sins, you will die in your sin and you will face judgment of God for all eternity. The restraining use of the law. This leads us to consider the second proper use of the law. First of all, it is a restraining use. Number two is perhaps a little darker, <coughs> the condemning use of the law. The condemning use of the law. While the law of God restrains in some measure sin of mankind, it has no power to forgive your sin. It has no power to justify you or bring you mercy from the sure and judgment of God against all sin and unbelief. The very holiness and perfections of God are seen in his law, since the law is positively an expression of the character of God. This means that without mercy, without forgiveness, and the grace of God in Christ Jesus, the second proper use of the law is to condemn every sinner to an eternal death for the punishment of their sin. The law condemns the unbeliever to eternal judgment for his sin. The law confirms our spiritual guilt and judgment. Romans 7, 7 to 25, Paul described his experience of this, and you can go and read it. But listen to verse 13 of Romans 7. Paul, speaking of the law, did that which is good, the law, he's talking about then, bring death to me? By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. 
and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The condemning use of the law. What was Paul saying? The law hammered Paul down so that he might see his own sin and open himself up to the gospel. And that is what the law does to us. That is what the law does to the one who comes to Christ. It hammers him down so that he may see his own sin and open himself to the gospel. Martin Luther said this in respect of the law. It is a mighty hammer to crush the self-righteousness of human beings. For it shows them their sin. So that by the recognition of sin they may be humbled, frightened, and worn down so long. And so may long for grace and for the blessed offspring for Christ. That is the condemning use of the law. That we may see our sin, unbeliever, that you may see that your sin will condemn you to eternal death. Believer, does this mean that the law condemns me? Yes, it did. It did. It declared, it declared you guilty of want of conformity and transgression of the law of God until you turned to Christ for mercy. And his perfect keeping of the law on your behalf as a substitute enduring the punishment of your sin in his body on that tree until you believed on him, you were condemned already and the law is there for the believer to remind us that it condemned us and we ran to christ that it condemned our sin and it showed us the glory of his majesty the perfection of his being and it showed us our worthlessness and that sent us to christ and to the gospel of christ unbeliever here today you're still in that condition. The second powerful use of the law is that it condemns you for your sin. And if you continue in your refusal to believe, you are a dead man walking. That is the truth. And you will perish in your sin. Consider this terrible reality that follows one of the most blessed promises in all scripture. And we forget that this Terrible reality follows very closely to one of the most blessed, blessed verses. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And escape from the law because of Christ's substitutionary, keeping the law perfectly for us. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But you have rejected that? You refuse to come to Christ? Well, listen to the next verse. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Believer, this second use of the law, our sure condemnation, apart from the gospel, has a blessed use attached for you, for, attached to it, for you who have believed. It was in this sense that the law is our schoolmaster to Christ. The law is a signpost for us. 
you are condemned, but there's the gospel. You are condemned, the law condemns you. You've broken the law, but run to Christ. It is our schoolmaster to Christ. The very condemnation of the law is the means used by God to bring the gospel to us as we flee the rightful and just condemnation of the law and find our refuge and our grace and our forgiveness in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. An unbeliever, this is the law and the gospel. This is the law and the gospel. Use the second dreaded proper use of the law to be your schoolmaster to Christ, to show you that there is a way that if you believe on him, that if you repent and come to Christ, your sins too can be forgiven. Cry to God for mercy in the name of his Son, for there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Then you'll be able to say with every believer who was formerly condemned under the law, because of, as Christ says, uh, because of Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the life of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The condemning use of the law. And brothers and sisters, your daily schoolmaster to Christ. This brings us to the third and final proper use and blessed use of the law for the child of God. Thirdly, the sanctifying use of the law, the sanctifying use of the law. I encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, love the law and the gospel. Love the law and the gospel. In fact, the Bible is the whole law of God from Genesis to Revelation, including the law and the gospel, the law and the prophets, the gospel of Christ and the words of Christ through the apostles. This is the deposit that Timothy must guard, as he says in our text, the law is good if one uses it lawfully in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. It is only the believer who can love the law of God, and he must love it. And he does need it. Every part of the law and the gospel is essential for the believer's sanctification and preparation for heaven. The law for the believer involves defining the parameters of the graced life, as someone has said. No one can live up to the law. Even the believer, on account of his remaining sin, cannot attain to the standard of God's perfect law but it does lay out God's mind as to our moral and ethical responsibilities towards God and man. And we see especially the sanctifying work in Christ's enlightening teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Matthew 5 and verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For well, truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Believer, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. His statutes are right, altogether pure. His commands are pure. These things are more precious than gold, than much fine gold. Paul writes in the second letter to Timothy in verse 16, 17, well-known verses, All scripture, the whole law of God, is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What was one of the last prayers that our Lord Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples while on this earth? It was for our sanctification by the law, his word. John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also be sanctified in the truth. This, brothers and sisters, is the correct use of the law of God to be guided and sanctified by it all of our lives. And the psalmist, in many places, his love for the law of God was precisely this, because the law of God was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. This, then, is how we should live. Here is the perfect law of God. Love the law and love the gospel. Do, 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 do not think that you do not need to keep the law because you are under grace. It is the gospel that makes the law a means of grace to your soul. Do not presume to pick and choose what parts of the law are applicable to your Christian life. Your proper and final sanctification and completion of the good work that Christ has begun in you depends on the law and Christ's keeping of it perfectly for you. Why would you think that you would be exempt from keeping the law and attending it to your hearts for your sanctification. Love the law and love the gospel. May God help us to apply the proper use of the law today, both for the believer and for our, and for our sanctification and for the believer for your salvation. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you for your law. We thank you that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Oh, Lord, how we acknowledge that we need your holy law. For as we find that we sin and transgress your law, we are reminded we are not condemned. We have a redeemer, and your law is our schoolmaster to our Savior. Oh, Lord, help us, like the psalmist, to delight in your law, to meditate upon it day and night, to desire to please you by the keeping of the law and the commands of Christ, that we may be sanctified for that great day when you come again. 
We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.